Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host and I am excited today. I have the one and only Mehek Cook on today. She is an attorney. She she is so many amazing things. You guys are not going to believe her story. Please share this out right now with all of your friends. Share it out so we can get a lot of people hearing this. It's going to be a life-changing story. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Mahek on. Mahek, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ken. Should I say your honor or attorney or? <laughs> no, Mahek is just fine. Thank you. <laughs> so um, Mahek, we were introduced by our mutual friend, Mindy. And um, I am I am so, so excited to have you on. I know you have um, an incredible story. I mean, you told me uh, bits and pieces of it um, about your father coming here. And uh, so, you know what? Why don't we just start there? Let's start with, look, we already, you already have new fans that didn't know about you. So look, Victoria, she, she said you're drop dead gorgeous. Thank you. So, Victoria. <laughs> so you know, I, um, let's start with where you were born and raised. Sure. So I was born in India and my dad was in the Indian Navy. So we moved around a lot. I am North Indian, but we were in Calcutta where I was born. And uh, my dad spent about 18 years in the Indian Navy. And it was truly a blessing to see what I, I was very young at the time, but I have a really good memory. I remember a lot of times he was gone for weeks on end and my mom was a sole homemaker taking care of me and my brother. And I still remember it like yesterday. My uncle had gotten into dental school at Case Western. My dad flies in through the door and tells my mom, I'm going to check out America. <laughs> Didn't know what that meant, but um, he came back about 10 days later and he told my mom three things that I'll never forget. Dishwashers, vacuum cleaners. Oh Yeah and uh, garage door remotes. And off we went, we packed up a couple suitcases and my dad had $80 in his pocket when he first entered the United States, but we didn't make it very far. We stopped at the duty-free shop, mom bought two perfumes. So $30 later, we entered the United States. Yeah. Gosh. And straight wow. to Columbus, really, really privileged. My grandfather had a home on Ackerman Road, very close to the Ohio State University. Yeah. So 10 family members in one home. And my dad worked, gosh, seven years straight, three jobs. And I was raised by my aunt, my uncle, cousins running around, grandparents, and my mom. So I was really, really fortunate. But I don't think I'm special. I think this is just what immigrants do. They work hard. They don't yeah. take things for granted. And that's really what the American dream is. You know, this sounds judgmental on my part, but I, I've said for years, I, I think 
most Americans who are, are born here do take it for granted. Like, because I, I told you, I know I have, I have, um, some Indians that, that have worked for me for years. And I, I know what, what, you know, some of their struggles are. I know, I mean, all, all you have to do is go to YouTube and look, look at the traffic in Bangalore. <laughs> it is night and day different. I mean, even a busy day in New York or LA compare, not even close to comparing. So, um, you know, I don't think people really understand how, how well we have it here, but so your dad came over here. How do you, what, so what do you do with 30 and where did you come in? You said you came straight to Columbus. Is that where the plane landed or what? Um, we, you come in through a different port and then we landed in Columbus and my grandfather had a home with my grandmother. So okay. um, uncle who had gotten into case Western was originally living there with my aunt and two cousins. My family landed there as well. And what was incredible is my grandfather was managing a hotel and he was not going to give my father any special treatment. So my dad worked from housekeeping, cleaning rooms to front desk. And at that time, the salary wasn't able to sustain our entire family. So he also worked other jobs. He was a security guard at the Wexner Center and he picked up any other job he could just to make sure that our family was taken care of. And my mom is a teacher. So when you come from India to America, you have to retake all of those classes again. So she worked to make sure that she could get a degree so that she could support us as well. She's a math and science teacher. So um, she went through all the training again and ensured that she was also providing an income for our family, for my grandparents and everybody else in the home. And you were all, how many people did you, how many of you were living in this house? I'm curious on Ackerman or so, off of Ackerman. Yeah. So 10. And then um, I had another family of uncle, aunt and cousins. And sometimes they would come too. We found a really fun way for us to just have sleepovers for about seven years until we figured out that you could have a little bit more room and your own home. Um, but my most cherished memories are not my new house. It was living with my grandparents and all the things that they taught us. I think that you saw not only my grandfather working hard, my father working hard, my mom going back to school, my aunt in the home studying wow. to become a doctor. So we were constantly around impressive men and women that were fighting to make sure that there was food on the table. And more importantly, they were all successful. They showed us what success looked like. When you say successful, because this does get into what we'll talk about later, do you mean financially or do you mean freedom? What 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 do you how do you define that? How do I define success? It's freedom. Yeah. It's the ability to come to this country. And as a little girl, I would have never had the opportunities if I did not live in America. My dad saw what was going on in India and it, it's just different for men and women. And when you come to America, you get to, you get to be a woman who can have an opinion, go to law school, work for Ohio governor and do so many things that I just wouldn't have had in India. So my dad looked at this as a huge opportunity for us to have, not only for me and my brother, but my cousins too. All of us are successful because we have the freedom to choose. We have the freedom to work hard. We have the freedom for education. 
all those things to me, that's freedom. Financial things, they go up and down. My dad, if he was here today, would tell you how many businesses he tried to start. And I don't call them failures. They are, they're businesses that just weren't right for him. And he right. found a way to be successful. Learning experiences. Right. <laughs> Right. So, so, so here you are at five years old. Did you speak English? I did. So um, we learned Hindi and English growing up in India. You start school when you're three years old. So I was reading and writing. Oh, wait till you meet my mom. I mean, it was, she was an enforcer. She made sure that my brother and I were constantly speaking Hindi, Punjabi, and English. So when we came to America, I actually had to wait a little bit to start kindergarten. I was too young. The only thing I will say though, is the language is a little different. For instance, I remember getting in trouble in second grade. My teacher called my mom and said, Mahak's acting out. Mom said, what's going on? So there was a piece of paper that you had to identify all the English words. Yeah. I didn't know what a robe was. They don't wear robes in India. It's hot. So my mom had to explain. My head doesn't need ESL. She just doesn't know what a robe is. Uh, they put me in ESL anyway. It lasted three days and then they took me out. But it was an adjustment because we don't have a lot of things, at least at that age, that I was seeing in India. You said a road? Like the a thing you drove? No, a robe. You oh, know. a robe, a robe, robe, a robe. robe. I'm sorry. I thought you said road. Um, <laughs> a robe. We have roads in India. I just I was going to say, <laughs> I've seen video of them. I know they're there. Yes, there are lots of roads. I just never saw my mom use a robe. So that was wow. very foreign to me. Wow. So, so you, um, when you were like, you came over, because this, okay, let's talk about this because there is a, a big, big difference in, um, the weather, just the weather alone. Yes. Right. Oh, absolutely. I will never forget my first snow. It's, it's something that I've, you just don't see it at the place that we were living in India. It was absolutely magical and everything my dad promised the vacuum cleaners, the garage doors, (laughs) the microwaves, it was all here plus more. Yeah. The things we take for granted, vacuum cleaners. That's crazy. Wow. How many vacuum cleaners do you own? I'm just curious. Um, Two, because we have two dogs. So there's a vacuum cleaner and then a carpet (laughs) cleaner now. And again, it's funny. um, It's things that I share with my husband today. It's We never thought we'd have the ability to purchase something like this. So you just, you live in your means and you try not to take anything for granted. So I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess that um, you were academically advanced throughout school. I worked really, really hard. Um, The reason I remember everything from when I was little, I don't think all my friends love this about me, but I have a photographic memory. I can remember everything to details to what people were wearing in rooms. Um, but I worked really hard. My mom gave me extra credit, extra tutoring. She always tried to push me to do better. And I think that's a mentality. A lot of people see about Asian culture. It's if I got a 9.5 out of 10, my mom asked for a 10. So I'd go back and I try harder. Or she would say, is there extra credit? So, uh, the learning never stops. And when I have done things in my life to this day, she will push me even more and say, I mean, I got to share the story. So I ran for state rep, as I'm sure you know, in 
Dublin and Worthington. And mm -hmm. I told my mom, I sat her down, said, mom, I'm going to run for state representative. And she literally sat down, leaned in and said, why not governor? <laughs> I, I, I almost had a meltdown. I left the house. <laughs> I took a walk, came back. And I said, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you exactly what it takes to be the governor of Ohio. You have to start somewhere, mom. Yeah. So, um, from that date, she was the most mom and dad encouraging, but th that's where the drive comes from. It's, it's, it's some of it's a fear of not taking things for granted. And part of it is continue to do better, continue to pull people alongside you, continue to add value because all of this could go away someday. But as long as you're making an impact, that's really what my family has always wanted for me and my brother. God knows you're making an impact. Um, so, so you, so your mother, did she teach, was so I'm, I'm trying to backtrack here. You went to school where? Where did you end up going to like elementary? Sure. So Cranbrook Elementary, still my most favorite school. Um, it was very multicultural too. They would have multicultural nights once a year. So I got to learn a lot about not only uh, American culture, but Chinese culture, Indian, of course, Korean, yeah. Japanese, like it wow. was the most incredible grade school. My mom was working and teaching math and science at a private school. So I had the opportunity to go to a private school from sixth grade to my senior year. And after that, um, went to the Ohio State University. My parents were not going to let me leave or go too far away. And honestly, it was one of the best decisions and best college experiences I, I would not trade it for the world. I mean, the Ohio State University is a pretty, pretty cool, uh, pretty cool place to go to school. So, so as a, um, and so you went to private school. See, uh, now I, I want to, a lot of people might look at that and say, oh, so she grew up privileged. And, and, and yet that's not the case. I mean, your, your father and mother came here with, no money. Mm -hmm. You, you land in Columbus. Your dad has 30, $30 to his name. Right. right. Your mom has a couple of nice bottles of perfume. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and how many children? Um, so there were four, but then sometimes six when my other cousins came in to town and stayed with us as well. But and you have three siblings. So I have a brother and then two cousins who lived with me that I will always say are my sisters. I was the oldest. And then my second cousin is three months younger than me, my brother, and then my youngest cousin. But then we had two other cousins who would come and visit. Um, you know, it's interesting. I get the, hey, you're really privileged because of the private school all the time. The only yeah. reason I went was because my mom was a teacher there. So tuition was available to us for free. Um, she was teaching math and science. And I will tell you, um, I didn't really fit in. I, I didn't, thank God we had school uniforms, but the days that we had dress down days or the days where you got to wear what you want and do what you wanted, I was pretty much at home or wearing hand-me-downs. And I don't, I don't ever focus on that. What I do focus on is how I assimilated. And I, I remember in sixth grade when I told my mom I wanted to play basketball. 
you don't have that in India, you know, at least yeah. not when I grew up. Right. right. Um, and I had these plastic Coke bottle glasses I would constantly wear and I would get the ball thrown at my face at least once a week. So we'd get new glasses at least once to twice a month. Oh and God. I just determined it didn't matter what I looked like. It didn't matter what I was wearing. As long as I could succeed at a sport, that's teamwork. People would have to notice me. People would have to at least at least try and work with me. So I made my mark on at basketball and volleyball. And so, yes, people can say private school is privilege. I think there are amazing opportunities if kids are able to go to it. Thank my mom for that experience. But everything else is perseverance. That's how do you fit in? How do you make things work? And how do you make friends? So you, you felt the imposter syndrome, even, I mean, as a kid in private school, you'd you, you didn't feel, I'm sure that the other students there whose parents weren't teachers, um, came from even somewhat wealthy families, I would imagine. Yes. Um, wow. I didn't really think about it. I just, I wasn't allowed to go to parties. I didn't have a car. I wasn't allowed to drive until after 18. I took the bus everywhere. It, it wasn't, I, I didn't know I was missing anything. I had yeah. an amazing family that loved me. And every day when I went home, I had somebody that was making sure my homework was done, that was motivating me, that was encouraging me to join, whether it was drama club or volleyball. I never had a no for anything when it came to sports and academics. So wow. I felt like I was winning. And the rest of it was superficial. Didn't matter to me. Did you see, did you recognize... Um entitlement as a kid did you see other kids around you being or acting entitled i saw just generally growing up some kids had more than me um but it never i don't i i can't explain it those kids didn't have two parents at home and grandparents those kids didn't have wow. cousins that they lived with those kids didn't have an aunt that helped me with spelling every day so we weren't focused on what you're wearing. We were focused on, is there enough food on the table? And to wow. this date, I'll never forget. Um, I, I've been given this analogy a lot in my life where in Indian culture, at least where we grew up, my dad, my grandfather, my parents, my family, my uncle, he would make sure that the kids had the chicken or whatever that protein was first. Yeah. Fill wow. somebody else's plate before filling your own. And so I've always thought of life like that. How do I fill somebody else else's plate before I fill my own? I've had several friends say, heck, that's not how it works here. We fill our own plate first. And then if there's an abundance, we share. So I, I, I don't know. I didn't think about those designer tennis shoes and things like that. My parents did everything to make sure I had my uniform, my tennis shoes, and things wow. that were necessities. That's incredible. That's my, my wife is like that. She's always helping others before helping herself. It's, it's amazing. So I, I like to think I'm like that, but <laughs> I try to be at least, but, um, so, so you, you graduated from high school, um, from the, the private school you went to, you ended up at the Ohio state university. Um, what was your major at Ohio state? Um, so I had several changes as, um, yeah. most Indian kids don't have, right? Like you're generally a doctor engineer. 
Um, I had thought about med school because I really wanted to help people. So originally biology got into the scholars and honors program. And then I'll never forget. It was one political science class that just changed my life. It was a constitutional law class. And during that time, there was an incident at my old high school that I got involved with and absolutely fell in love with the law. So um, for about a year, I was a theater major. My parents uh, had a fit. They told me that I wasn't going to be an actress. I'm never going to make it to California. This isn't what Indian kids do. Um, But I just, I took theater because I wanted to come out of my shell and be more outgoing, understand communication skills. There's so much value when you get out of your shell and just don't do some of the traditional you know, classes. Um, But I ended up with political science, pre-law political science, did a ton of internships. My mom knew a fantastic judge in town that allowed me to intern for him. And then on weekends, we've always done this. My brother has always done this with me. My husband now helps today. We always went to the hotel and helped, whether it's clean rooms or front desk or whatever my family needed. Well, so yeah, let's go, let's, let's go back to that because, um, your, your dad, I mean, so it was a hotel that your grandfather managed. Um, but didn't your dad eventually do better than, than just, just. Yes. So, um, my grandfather eventually retired from the hotel industry And, um, he and my grandparents still live in Columbus now with us, you know, full circle. Um, so my dad worked his way up and saved, and now he is a successful business owner. He has two hotels in Columbus and we grew up doing this on weekends. So we go to the hotel every weekend and help out anywhere we can. Uh, there's something going on. I think a workforce shortage that a lot of people can attest to. So, roll up our sleeves. And, um, I know how to make a bed and a ton of other things. And of course my mom's inspecting, so, you know, it's done. Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. You're here. You are. Uh, and forgive me for this. You're going to get mad at me. You're a highfalutin attorney. <laughs> here you are this incredibly successful attorney. Um, you could probably hire somebody to go do that for you but you, you go do it yourself. You go help in the hotel. You're making beds, your house, you're, you're doing housekeeper. It's housekeeping. Yeah. Um, I, so there's a couple issues today, right? Like we know that there are workforce issues. There are individuals that while they're not getting the additional dollars through federal government, there's still entitlement today where People feel like they can sit on the couch, collect unemployment and are, quote, making more money. And while my dad absolutely has help, he doesn't have enough and there's not consistency. And the one thing that we've always done as a family is if you're going to ask somebody else to do something, you've got to show people you're willing to do it. And we're not better than anybody. So my dad still is doing housekeeping too. a lot of weekends, flipping beds, rooms. My mom is helping. Of course, my brother, my husband comes in too, but it adds a lot of um, a family environment so that a lot of the individuals that are coming in feel like, gosh, that's Mahak or my brother or my mom helping as well. It's the only way we're going to get through this right now. So we have to make sure that we are constantly working hard. All of this could be taken away. That's the thing I said. We don't take anything for granted and we help each other. 
That is absolutely amazing. That's absolutely, that's, that's something most people wouldn't do. And that's, that's just absolutely amazing. I saw a sign one time, a client of mine had on his wall it said, you're either living a life of humility or you're headed for one. And, and it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And you're, you're just staying right there. You're like, you know, we're no matter how high we get, we're not better than anyone. And I absolutely love that. So, so you ended up um, graduate or so you, your major was political science. That's right. You, you graduated and, and then um, you decided what you were going to get into political science. <laughs> what, what happened from there? So I, I knew I wanted to go to law school and wow. the deal with my dad was if I got into a school higher ranked than the Ohio State University, he would let me go. And look, I, I have to say, it's not that I did not want to go to law school at the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. I just wanted a different experience. When you live in a family as large as mine, uh, you can't get away with anything. And I was the <laughs> oldest and I just wanted the opportunity to grow. So yeah. I spent about a year and a half um, working at immigration firms and doing immigration law as a legal assistant and then paralegal. Um, worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office. I had a huge interest in counterterrorism work after 9-11. I'll never forget it. It was during college. Everybody can remember where they were during 9-11. Yeah. I'll never forget Um a misunderstanding of the attack on America and a misunderstanding of what we had taken for granted. So I got heavily involved in any type of clerkship internship and then jobs where I could work on counterterrorism cases and had an incredible opportunity to work at the U S attorney's office with Columbus or Columbus. Okay. And there was a counterterrorism case. Actually it's public now. Nuruddin Abdi, he and several gentlemen would meet at a Starbucks on campus at Ohio State, and they were trying to blow up Tuttle Mall. It's a mall at that time when my family, my aunts and uncles, my neighbors, I mean, we all went to Tuttle Mall. So had the privilege and opportunity to work on that case with a U.S. attorney, Dana Peters, and then expert witnesses from Singapore, um, Rohan Gutnara. He is probably one of the world-renowned terrorist experts. I actually ended up working with him for a period of my career. Wow. And I just knew at that point I had to go to law school. I worked with Dave DeVillers, who I'm sure many of you know was the United States attorney appointed by President Trump, um, prosecuted Saddam Hussein. So I just knew I had a lot of individuals, a lot of mentors that had talent. And the key factor ingredient was you got to go to law school and get that degree. So got into Indiana University, Bloomington, and ended up there um, to get my master's at IUPUI and then law degree. And I focused on counterterrorism and security work. I remember exactly where I was. I was driving down Muirfield Drive. I lived over near Muirfield in Dublin at the time. And I'll never forget that. So you, you were, you, at that, at that point, you were, um, graduated from with your, your, your first degree. And then you spent some time not going to college working for these firms and the U S attorney's office. Right. 
Wow. How long, what was the time gap before you ended up in Indiana? Indiana, you should have gone to Ohio State, my heck. I know. Well, too close to the family. I know. I'm just playing. So, so you were in Indiana. How, how, what was the time gap? It was a couple years. So I spent a couple years oh, working. Okay. And again, I think it was really hard at that point because generally it's traditional for you to do undergrad and then immediate grad school. I will tell any parent listening any family member listening, it is so important to get skills and internships and jobs and then determine if grad school is right for you. I think a lot of times we rush into these decisions without some of just the real world experience that I, I promise you it sets you apart. There are schools today, I remember back in the day, I say back in the day, um, Northwestern would actually request that you had at least a year of some type of on the job experience before you apply to business school, law school, I highly recommend it because then you know what you're interested in, what you can, um, if, if it's even the right degree for you or the right career path. So it was the best decision. And law school for me was, it wasn't easy, but it was definitely an experience that pushed me to just always stay grounded because I had real life experience. Law school world is not real life. So I was able to not panic during certain situations because I would tell myself I've already done some of the hard work in some of the cases I've worked on. Well, and that I would imagine that in the back of your head, you had those experiences that would fuel when you wanted to give up <laughs> or when you were like, like this sucks. I can't believe. And you're like, okay, hold on. I can do that. So, so, there was something I, I, you were talking and I was like, uh, hold on, I got to ask her this and I just lost it. So, so you, you graduated from law school in Indiana and did you stay there or did you come back immediately to Columbus? Um, I came back immediately and okay. I'll tell you, I still owe a lot of my success and my start in politics because of some of the work that I did in Indiana, I decided to get a master's as well at Indiana University of Purdue. And part of their pastor's program was you had to do an internship. So I applied to the Indiana General Assembly. I asked for the toughest person I could work for. And I got Senator President um, David Long of the Senate. So I was able to work with him and genuinely learned a lot. And that was another humbling experience for me. I'll tell you, working at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I'm thinking, okay, I'm at the Senate. What am I going to learn here? And hands down, probably my second favorite job because I went from getting coffees and lunches to, I'll never forget this. I got made fun of, I'm going to tell you this story anyway. There was a lady that kept calling David Long's office and saying, my light is not working, my street light. I really need somebody to fix it. All the interns would laugh. The phone call was pawned off to me. Well, listen, I think her light should work. We live in America is what I would say. I'm like, this isn't a foreign country where you don't get electricity. Right. So I figured out a way to help her. She wanted to take her trash out during the day, Ken. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And everyone's like, take your trash out during the day. And I'm like, no, she wants to take it out in the evening. Um, oh my God. phone calls and helped her. But it was a test from not only the um, legislative aide, but also the president, David Long. And he noticed that I took a care for people and always took a step further to make sure that we were doing what was necessary for a constituent. So he started allowing me in 
tons of meetings and working on the real ID law when it was passed in Indiana, wow. immigration reform. I mean, it was incredible. So that was my start of politics. But that's all because you showed genuine care for someone else. Yeah. So, I, I mean, let me, and you know, I, it's in your, it's in all the stuff I put out, the description of this. You are not, not shy about it. You don't hide the fact that you are a staunch Republican, <laughs> that you do a lot of work with the GOP party here in Ohio. Um, my and was this guy um look a buddy of mine on here says i've got, we've got two lights out <laughs> all right charles let me know where you live we'll figure it out california good luck with that he hates california too but so so and he's from there but the <laughs> the um you know you do a lot of work with the gop um, and, and this, this guy in Indiana, I'm assuming it was Republican. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so was there anything that you can look back on and say, this is what swayed me to, because politics, I mean, both sides of the aisle, in my opinion, are, they're all nuts, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's it's it it shocks me to see how um, divided we are as a country when it comes to the two parties. Um, what what do you think pushed you to the Republican side? What what was that? That's a great question. Um, in college, I focused a lot on social issues. And look, my dad is very conservative, but he never never talked politics with me. We never talked politics at the dining table. My grandfather didn't talk politics. Um, I remember dad watching some of the elections and being disappointed with results, but I never really understood it. And in college, I did really focus on social issues and thought, maybe I'm a Democrat. Didn't really know much more. It wasn't until I started working at the U.S. Attorney's Office and my fixation on national security and safety and the freedoms that we have in this country that we take for granted. And also then watching my dad as a business owner, right? As a small business owner, he always explained to me, Mahek, I know what to do best with my money. I don't need it to government. I don't need to give it to government for them to understand and do what is necessary for my employees. My dad to this day not only gives additional money to his employees. He assigned car leases for individuals. My wow. uncle now is a successful dentist. He genuinely has always cared and gives free medical, I'm sorry, free dental treatment to patients that are single mothers. That is what I started realizing. I, I looked at national security. I looked at business and I thought the social issues, we can get there, but there is something that is absolutely in terms of the base where I fit in. And it is truly the Republican party. And everybody has definitions today. Are you a Kasich Republican? Are you a Trump Republican? No, I'm me. This is who I am. This is what I believe in because everybody wants to put you in a bucket because they don't want to take the time and effort to understand who you are, what you stand for and where you come from. And I think if we spend more time understanding people's backgrounds and what they are trying to do for our country instead of label and identity politics will be better today than ever before. I think that, you know, I mean, I I've said this I and mean, Trump, 
Trump was a huge supporter of the Clintons <laughs> for years, you know, and, and I, the, the, I think the, um, a lot of people don't, don't realize that if you don't pick one of the two big parties as your party, you're not winning anything in this country. It's just, it's very, very rare that somewhere in the middle, a different party wins. <clears throat> so, um, but I love I love your answer to that question. So you you ended up coming back to Ohio. You had a law degree. Um, you had to pass the Ohio State bar exam, right. um, which I heard is fun. <laughs> I've heard that. I got through it. Yeah. Time. And and did you go to work for a firm or did you hang your own shingle out? What did you do from there? Um, so in Indiana, I had the opportunity to work at Barnes and Thornburg practicing immigration law. So Barnes and Thornburg had started a new branch in Columbus. So I had the privilege to work there on wow. immigration and then also government relations, learned a lot about the Ohio legislature and um, met a lot of great senators and representatives during my time at Barnes and Thornburg. Wow. And, and so what, where did you go from there? You left there. How long were you there? Um, a little over a year. And okay. I was told that the governor's office was looking for a legal counsel and governor Kasich. So I applied for that position, thought there's no way I'm going to get it. The previous attorney had about eight years of experience, but governor Kasich had one of the best general counsels, Mike Roadhouse. And I'll say it, he took a risk. I was a one-year fresh-out attorney, and he gave me the most incredible opportunity with the governor's administration to wow. be Governor Kasich's legal counsel for over two and a half years. That's incredible. Wow. So how do you go? You can't, how do you go up from there? <laughs> like um, everything's a ladder to like lateral move at that point, it seems like. It, you know, the thing about the governor's office is there are very few attorneys, but you get to work on a myriad of issues. There are so many things happening from balancing a budget. Governor yeah. Kasich created Jobs Ohio, which has been the most powerful economic development tool to date in our yeah. in our state. Um, so I then uh, do you remember the dangerous wild animal incident that happened in Zanesville? Lions, tigers, bears that were released. We made Fox News. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yes. Um, I was then asked to go to the Department of Agriculture to help set up a compliance program so that we could get dangerous wild animal owners registered. And I thought, um, no, I am not an agriculture attorney. I, <laughs> I wear a leopard every once in a while, I like animal print, but I am not your girl. I, I went, I went. Um, oh and my I'll God. You, best position. Again, it, agriculture is the biggest business in our state. Yeah. So, I learned meat processing, dairy, how to tranquilize a bear. Um, <laughs> they would call me when there were dangerous wild animals on the loose. I'm like, I call the sheriff. I'm the party. Um, but I will tell you, Congressman today, Troy Balderson, and I worked on the oh, wow. with wonderful uh, team of people, the dangerous wild animal legislation. But agriculture is so important in our state and the amount of issues and, and ways that we impact, whether it's farming or egg production. And it was incredible. I took every opportunity to go to 
to every single farm. I dressed appropriately. It only took me one time with heels and big earrings to realize <laughs> it wasn't going to work. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. So you, you, um, gosh, you've, you have done a lot of like things like you've done a lot. So, so you, you so after the governor's office, what was next for you? I mean, cause Kasich, did he have two terms? He had two terms had two and terms. I stayed with him um, up until gosh, when he ran for president. So Charles. <laughs> Charles, I'll take care of your lights and your bear once we get off this. Um, so governor Kasich had two terms and then ran for president as you gotcha. know. So had, again, uh, incredible opportunity to help with immigration policy, which has always been an important, not only background, passion, practicing immigration law, so worked on policy. He had a fantastic team of people that, again, gave me a lot of incredible opportunities to travel across the country, work with lots of volunteers. Um, and once that campaign ended continued to work in government for a little bit. And then finally I decided I want to be my own business owner and just take a break from politics and go out based on everything I've learned and go help businesses. So I started doing a lot of legal work for small and mid-sized companies to help them proactively think about how do they defend themselves and how do they work with government rather than being adversarial, have still incredible friendships in all areas of government in Ohio. So that's what I did and continue to do today. Um, did a lot of pro bono work through the uh, COVID, um, through COVID in yeah. our state as well. There were a lot of individuals and small businesses that couldn't afford attorneys. So I always raised my hand veterans and said, let me help you. Wow. That is just, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. That's crazy. Like, I, I, like every time you say I did this, it just gets better. Like the story. So, well, so I think my favorite thing today though, I have to share is um, again, huge privilege to work at the strategy group for media. They are a full service advertising company, all focused on Republican um, Republicans that are running not only statewide, but through the entire country. So from governor's races to congressional races, to be able to be an advocate and on the team of other strong conservatives has yeah. been one of the biggest blessings. That's so incredible. So through when, when COVID hit, were you going to an office every day at the time? Um, I was not going through to an office, but I'll back up a little bit. I, I ran for office during COVID and there's no playbook for this. So um, it was probably one of the toughest times to run for anybody running for office, but I'm sure everybody knows. And if they don't, Franklin County had, where I live, had been tended, trending mostly Democratic, yeah. Democrat. And yeah. so I decided to run in Dublin and Worthington, and I knew it was going to be a tough race. But for me, my goal was twofold. It's to introduce individuals that look and speak like me that are yeah. Republican, um, to talk about hard issues like race relations yeah. and to stand up for the Republican party. And I said this to you, Ken, I don't think I ran against my opponent. Nobody knew who my opponent was. I ran against, unfortunately, president Trump. 
And so I had to stand at every door and talk about President Trump. And I kept saying, there's nothing I can do on a national level. This is why I'm running statewide. I learned a lot. I only knocked on independent and soft Democrat doors because I wanted to make a change. And I wanted people to know that I cared. <laughs> Again, you're like, I didn't even visit any Republicans because they're already... You know, I think with the Republicans, it was um, there's a huge base here. I went to several events and spoke yeah. and I I did have to go initially when I ran for office to Republican doors to get signatures. And I'll say this. When I knocked on doors, people would kind of look at me and scratch their head. The second door, I finally said, I've knocked on so many doors, like what's going on? And. I heard several people say to me, we've never had a Republican woman that is an immigrant and intelligent and looks like you. And we're just a little confused. And I said, well, pull out your phone, look me up. I promise you I'm Republican. This is not a scam. But it was hard getting signatures originally. I thought, gosh, I, I don't know what needs to change, but we absolutely need change in Ohio. I've always felt that way. I admire a lot of the individuals like Clarence Mingo. I think he made a huge impact, black Republican veteran. Um, but there's definitely a component of Republicans that's missing an educational component that people don't all have to look the same and talk the same to have similar values. So step back for a minute and, and, and look at the country as a whole. I mean, we have some problems. I mean, we have some really big problems. Gas is skyrocketing. There's all, I mean, there's, pro, there's a lot of problems that we have and we have this massive division going on in this country. What do you think? And I know I'm not interviewing you to, for a political office, but I'm just curious, what do you think needs to happen? What needs to change for for our country to get back on track and do you think that we'll ever get back to any semblance of what we used to have i i think we can get better i am absolutely an optimist i think president biden needs just one term and i think we need to be done with his policies um unfortunately you know he used to be somewhat moderate but he said it over and over again I'm going to be one of the most progressive presidents. And what he's doing is he's pushing the left so far left that even the individuals that were in the middle aren't having it. So um, Biden needs one term and he needs to go. And I think in 2022, you're going to see a huge sweep for Republicans. I worked at the strategy group, as I, sh I shared with you, we were on, our president was on um, Youngkin's campaign in Virginia. You're already starting to see a sweep in terms of enough is enough. You cannot go after our children. But I think a couple things that we have to start focusing on is education, critical race theory, and making sure that our kids are not taught to tear things down but to build them up, right? Yep. We got rid of the Christopher Columbus Monument in, in Franklin County. What are you teaching people? You were teaching our kids and our future generations to continue making the same mistakes. So we have to focus on education. I think families need to get together and have tough discussions. Um, I know race is 
and can be very dividing, but I, I have a tough time when um, progressives on the left tell you what you should be and how you should think and how you should stand up for a minority. I raise my hand every time and I'm like, I am a minority. I don't need you to fight my battles. I'm not going to choose victimhood. I'm going to choose to stand on my own two feet and speak for what I need to and, and continue to succeed. Victimhood is not what we have to talk about. It's not something that we can embrace because that's what's going to hold minorities back. And then I think third, it's you've said this prices are going up and there's so many issues in our country. And part of it is, again, our foreign policy. Yeah. When we pulled out of Afghanistan, it completely changed the landscape of our entire country and our world. And I think we're going to start seeing that we're negotiating with terror. Biden is negotiating with terrorists now, like the Taliban. He is now giving them a ground and a footing. So we are not safe at all. No. That has to change. So I, I think what Governor DeWine is doing is making sure that um, whatever his policies are in our state in terms of welcoming immigrants and being thoughtful, I, I think that's where we can make an impact to work with the administration to understand who's coming into our state. Um, but there's not a lot that you can do on a national level. It has to start grassroots neighborhoods, your schools, your children, your churches. If we get back to the basics, we will get to a place where we can all find a common ground. Wow. <clears throat> I, I, I feel way underqualified to be interviewing you. <laughs> sorry, I just have lots of thoughts. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, what? I said I just have lots of thoughts and opinions. You, But you, you, you deliver them so well. So, you know, I, I look at, you know, like, my buddy Charles, you know, we've let progressive control the narrative. I, I think that, and we are, we're paying the price, but I see it like Texas and Florida. Let's talk about Florida. My gosh. But you know, there, Greg Abbott's like, we're building a wall, like, <laughs> like it or not. Well, we lock our doors at night. Right. We lock our doors at night. Why wouldn't we build a wall? And let me just tell you, we have sent mixed signals to immigrants. We have yes. told them, come on in. It's a free for all. What about the individuals that have been trying to come to our country legally? They've been waiting for years. We have completely destroyed justice. We have completely demolished our courts system today. There's not enough yeah. judges. There's not enough attorneys to help. And not only that, our children are dying because we are continuing to allow borders with no security. So you have fentanyl in our state in Ohio. We should look at the numbers. Dave DeVillers, the previous U.S. attorney, Ron O'Brien, who was our Franklin County prosecutor, constantly talk about this. We are not protecting our children. We're not protecting our families. We have the highest level of fentanyl in our, in our state. I mean, it's insane. That is that it is insane. I agree. So what do we, what do we do? I mean, uh, because I, I, you know, there's this defund the police thing and there all of these in the, in the more liberal areas. Uh, what do we do? Well, I think governors need to take a very strong um, posture and then follow through. I think if there is truly a movement to build a wall, there's a governor's association. All the governors that agree should come together and figure out funding. We are creative. 
There are legal ways to make sure that we can get this done. And I guarantee you, the American people, if you figured out a way where I could donate and so many others, we absolutely would. Yep. The fentanyl issue, I mean, that's something that we're going to have to continue working with our law enforcement. And we've got to get rid of weak mayors. I mean, look at Ginther, weakest <laughs> mayor that I have. I, I don't even think I see him. I just think he posts from his uh, basement or somewhere. <laughs> but um our law enforcement is the only reason we are safe and we're secure. Uh, secure. Yep. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Everybody is human and we have procedures for that. But our law enforcement today have been told to stand down. When I ran for office, people would whisper, my husband's a police officer. We, 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 we respect the police. I'm like, why are we whispering? They're worried about their neighbors. Yeah. Who do you call though when something goes south? Call That's the right. police. I mean, that's exactly what you do. So I think this charade about, um, you know, not about defunding the police, about pulling resources, it's just going to create havoc and mayhem. And Democrats have allowed for that. You know, you have and you and I talked about this on the phone the other day um, that 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 um, the the federal courts put a stay on the is that am I saying that right on the the vaccine mandates for employers and all of that. And, um, and then Biden told, made a statement telling everybody to ignore what the federal judge said. Yes. How, how is that like, what, how's that even, I can't imagine that. How, how did somebody say that? I think he's trying to rule through confusion and fear but we aren't confused and we're no longer fearful. I think we understand as individuals because we have now all lived through COVID, right? Yep. We know how to make the best decisions for ourselves, for our families and for our workplaces. I absolutely think that that statement from the administration was a lack of judgment and nobody is going to abide by him or even respect him as a leader. When you're saying, go ahead, and continue vaccinating, don't listen to the courts, no thank you. And that's what a lot of businesses are doing. And I see, you know, some states, was it Oklahoma that that put a, a halt to the National Guard? I think it was yesterday I saw something come through that was Oklahoma or one of the southern states that said, we're not requiring our national guard to be vaccinated and they're, you know, they're stepping up and they're saying, wait a minute, you're, you're stomping on people's rights. You can't do that. Um, so it's gone too far, Ken, you're absolutely right. And at some point you have to stand up for yourself yeah. or we're going to continue giving away our freedoms. And, and that is something that is at stake today. And I absolutely respect science. I do not respect manipulation of people children and our families. And that's what the administration is doing. Totally agree with you. I, I said, I, I, I heard it somewhere originally, but if you take a dog and you put it on a 50 foot chain and then you remove one link every single day, the dog will never even notice that you shorten its, its chain. And, and that's what's happening. You know, they're, they're trying to take away one little right at a time. And so, um, you know, Charles asks a good question. How are sanctuary cities and states legal in, I think he means in how, how's that, how are sanctuary cities legal? I don't get that. 
there. So if you're looking at federal law, they're not. I think some state laws, or I'm sorry, some states are passing whether they're uh, referendums or um, city council is passing resolutions, yeah. resolutions to yeah. allow for cities and local governments to take individuals in, but they're not. The thing is, nobody at this point that I have seen is challenging it. There's so much going on in our country, so it's piece by piece. But yeah. on the federal side, it's not legal. I think mo more often than not, anybody who doesn't have status had at least limited status through DACA, which was deferred action for ch early childhood arrivals. But in terms of new arrivals, that's something the administration's going to have to figure out. Who are they? Where are they? And then how to get them documented. Wow. But they're not, they're not legal. They're absolutely not. Mahek, I could literally, I could talk to you all day about all of this stuff. And I know you're kind of on a, a you have a, a little bit of a time um, thing going on there. I, I, can I ask, I want to ask one last question, though, before I let you go, if you don't mind. Um, you're here you are an immigrant to the United States. You've you, your father came here with $30. It wasn't like he had a probably didn't have an 800 credit score when he arrived here. So, you know, he had 30 bucks in his pocket and, and now owns hotels and you're a, a, a very well-respected um, attorney and you've done these amazing things. Standing back and looking at, let's start with the U.S. What do you think stops people from achieving success in life? What, what What is the main thing that's stopping people from really getting and having what they want in life? It's fear. It's fear. Like I, I can tell you, if you can give me one more, it's fear and drive. Um, yeah. I, I think people always start with kids do this too. I can't. I help lots of um, kids, homeless youth, uh, worked with Tina Heastead, the lieutenant governor's wife here in Ohio, wow. establish what's called the open table. And when you sit and talk to children, and I've gone into classrooms with my mom, she went from private school, I, I didn't share this with you, to then public schools, alternative schools. And most of these kids came from just one parent, a grandmother taking care of them, um, predominantly African-American kids. And I'd sit with them and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when they would dream, I said, well, dream bigger. Well, I can't. I can't. I, I, I refuse to say you can't do something. You can, and there's always a path. And then the other thing is drive. Look, I think you have to ask yourself in life what motivates you, find what drives you, and then follow through. But I would say fear is the number one factor that limits you as an adult. And I've always been... Um, cause I watched my dad do it $30 in his pocket. I've always been fearless. I've never been scared to walk away from something that I didn't believe in to walk away from a job and figure out how to start over. I've watched my dad start over. It's not that wow. bad. You just have to be fearless. I am blown away by you and I support you in anything that you ever need help with. I'm, I'm here to help you promote it, do whatever you need help with. Mahat Cook, you are an amazing woman. And I, I'm so honored that you're right here in my backyard. You're right down the road. That's incredible. <laughs> thank you. It's good yeah. to be with you, Ken. Thank you for being here. And thank you to everybody who shared this out. And if you did not share this out, 
there is time for you to redeem yourself still. So go ahead and share this out. Mahek, thank you so much. You guys have a great day and I'll see you later. Thanks so much.